Support for Tilt Radio comes from Headlines Sportswear. From uniforms to spirit shops, Headlines has all your sports apparel needs. Visit them online at makeheadlines.us to find out more. And remember, make headlines. Hey, Lax fam. It's Jamie Foley again, sitting next to my producer and co-host, Cal Turnbull. This week, we'll be touching base on our rankings as well as our games of the week. Our interviews this week will be joined by the mayor of Southwest Ohio Lacrosse, Wally Petrie, and also sit down with the head coach, the PLL Redwoods and Ohio Northern Polar Bears, Coach Nat St. Lawrence. Check the tilt. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and follow our show if you like what we're doing. Tilt Radio is produced by Storm Sessions, creative audio solutions for creators like you. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Tilt Radio. This is Jamie Foley sitting next to my producer and co-host, Cal Turnbull. What is up, Cal? Hello again. Week two. Absolutely. Hey, first off, I want to thank everyone for tuning in to our first week. Really means a lot. All the comments, questions, uh, just, you know, it really shows that, you know, we're doing something that everyone's looking forward to here in Southwest Ohio. So again, thank you everyone for listening. You know, it means a lot. You know, I think me and Cal were a little humbled and surprised a little bit by the turnout. So again, thank you everyone for your reviews. Remember, go back, go out there to that, uh, that podcast app and review rate, subscribe, all that fun stuff. And we'll keep doing this for all you guys out there. So Kyle, how was our week, man? Week was good. As you said, we both got quite humbled by, uh, the loving response we got from the lacrosse community here in Southwest Ohio, but outside of Southwest Ohio as well. We had some some listeners from Germany, the West Coast, the East Coast, down South. It's just a cool first week. Global. <laughs> We're like PNG. We're like PNG. <laughs> so look, let's kick it off here. I'll tell you what, we'll start here with our games of the week. Our first game of the week here was Sycamore, who was undefeated versus our squad, Indian Hill. Sycamore comes in. Uh, they were, you know, number four in our Division One rankings. Player of the game for this week for that game was Charlie DeGenero. Uh, he had five goals, one assist, a couple ground balls, a couple forced turnovers. Kyle, why don't you give us a little uh, breakdown of how that game went against Sycamore this week? They gave us a, a, a really good first half, and I felt like at, at halftime we got re-energized, and, you know, we we came out as if, you know, that was that was the first whistle, and it showed by the end of the third quarter it was, uh, I think, 10, 10 4. Yeah, 10 4, 10 3 at the end of the, end of the third. It was a great game. It was fun to, fun to coach, fun to be a part of. And our guys really played their hearts out. Absolutely. Uh, that's a great breakdown of how the game went, that for sure. Our other game of the week was Moeller versus St. X. Moeller came away with a 10 6 win. It's the first time Moeller's beat St. X uh, in a few years. Um, our player of the game was Lane Miller. Uh, Lane had three goals all over the field, defense, offense. Um, I mean, (laughs) Lane was even on the sideline uh, showing everyone his dinner there for a little bit and just runs back on. on. Lane's an absolute beast. Um, It was everything you wanted for a lacrosse fan in Southwest Ohio. You know, 2,500 to 3,000 fans, uh, great student sections, uh, great parent sections, great coaches, great players. it was just back and forth. You know, Moeller would score, 
Versansky would get a goal, and then you know Lane would get a goal, and then Langendurfer would put one in, and then Griffin Clark would put one in, or Wendling would put one in. Wendling, I think, ended up with two goals as well. And then towards the end of the game, you had Brendan Gary, a captain um, for Moeller, uh, kind of put the nail on the coffin there. But absolute great game for both teams. Um, and that's one of those games that grow grow the game here in our community. So that was that was an awesome game. Uh, let's see. We're going to touch base a little bit, too, on our rankings. There's not a ton of changes. Actually, there's no changes in Division One. Uh, Moeller still sits at number one with a big win over St. X. Um, they're starting to roll now. I think that was a big game for them to start kind of asserting their dominance a little bit. You know, like we talked about last week of the rankings, like goalie's going to make a huge difference. And Ian Ellis had 14 saves in that St. X game. So, I mean, that's, like I said, he's a stud. And he, with that experience, he's been in that game before and he's going to pull you through. Uh, Burroughs is going to stay at number two. Uh, they had a tough break, losing Buttlemeyer for a few weeks to an ankle sprain. But like every great team does, they bounce back um, and they come and they beat Loveland and Milford back to back right after that. Uh, St. X, like we said, lost 10 to 6 at Moeller. Turn around the next night, travel and go to St. Ignatius and play them tough. Uh, that's why St. X is always there towards the end. They play that tough schedule. Uh, Sycamore, again, like we said, number four still, lost to Indian Hill, uh, but they rebounded with a good 8-4 win over East. Uh, again, it's a sign of a great team, good leadership. And then following there, we got uh, Mason stays at five, Milford at six, uh, Centerville at seven. Uh, Lakota West is still sitting at eight, followed up by Loveland, and Lakota East sits at 10. So Division Two is starting to become pretty interesting here. We got an inevitable matchup here coming up with Indian Hill and Marymont here in a couple weeks. Um, I'm expecting hopefully the same kind of turnout of that X molar game. It'll be a good one. It'll be a good one. I mean, two teams battling. Both teams are really good this year. So uh, Marymont's going to stay at one. Uh, they had a win over eight five win over Waterson. Um, their schedule coming up is also brutal. I think they got Saint X this week. Uh, followed up by Springboro. Uh, Indian Hill went 3-0 on the week, beat uh, Sycamore on Tuesday, and then followed up with Turpin and Seven Hills on Saturday, on Saturday beat both of them. CHDA had a tough loss to Loveland, 10-6, to uh, but they're going to stay put for right now. I'm still waiting to see kind of what's going to happen here with Fenwick. They stay at number four. Uh, at one point this week when they played Bellbrook, they were losing by six and came back and won the game by one. I'm moving seven hills up to five. We played seven hills, and they're good. They got guys in the right spots. Blake Morris, I think, had 14 saves against us. Griffin Callow, their deep pole. Um, I don't think I mentioned last week, but he is a he's a monster. They can figure out a way to put some goals in the net. They're gonna be they're gonna be pretty tough. Um, Bellbrook moves to six again, tough loss against Fenwick. Um, they, they're going to continue to get better. Oakwood stays at seven. Talawana stays at eight. I'm moving Turpin up to nine. Uh, we played Turpin on Friday night and they got some guys like they can play their defense played, uh, Charlie De Janeiro very well, uh, only limited him to two goals, which I think is a season low this year for him. And their coaching staff is good. They had us scouted out good. Their guys are playing hard. Um, the score, I mean, the score was 12-2. to 2. 
But I know for us coaches, it felt a little closer than that. So we're moving Turpin up to nine and CJ to 10. So that's where we're at right now for our rankings. Yeah, and I thought uh, in that Turpin game, something that really stood out to me was how how well they were prepared for us. I mean, it seemed like they had been at a lot of our games. They had, you know, they knew what we were coming with. And that is why it felt like it was a much closer game than the final score maybe should. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, Kyle's doing a great job over there. Yeah. And you can tell that those guys are really playing hard and they believe in what their coaches are coaching them. And, you know, that was that was a hard-fought game. Regardless of what the score was, it was a hard-fought game. So, But some games of the week we have coming up here. I know our game of the week this year, or I'm sorry, this week, is going to be Marymount Springboro. That's a game that I think is very interesting, right? It's our number one Division two team against our number number two Division one team with our Division one team missing one of their best offensive weapons. Uh, Marymount is known for their defense. You know, that's what makes them so special. That's going to be a great matchup, and I'm really excited to see uh, how that game turns out. So, so Cal, what else is going on with you this week, man? Uh, we've got four, four days of practice in front of us uh, preparing for Bishop Watterson. Uh, that's going to be you know, a hallmark game for us, really test us on, you know, where we're at, how much are they going to come to play? No, right. I mean, that's, this is a big game this week for the Braves, you know, travel two hours north, get off the bus, play a team as good as Bishop Watterson. Uh, that'd be a really good challenge for us. Hey, another thing, we we want to see everyone's questions and comments. Send those to us. If you got burns, chirp at us a little bit. Chirp at us. We'll read it on the air. We love um, the heat. Yeah, yeah. Bring the heat. We want all the smoke. So bring it to us and we'll talk about it. So uh again, thanks again, everyone, for listening. Stay tuned here for one of our first interviews. The mayor of Cincinnati Lacrosse coming right up. Joining us for our first time in the studio is our special guest, Wally Petrie. How we doing, Wally? Doing good. Doing good. Thanks for having me, Jamie. Yeah, being glad to be sitting here with the the mayor of Cincinnati lacrosse, as we like to call him. So uh, Air Force veteran, been an official here for 19 years. Wally, how's everything going in your life right now? Uh, Good. Just uh, coaching, actually. Still reffing, but coaching some middle school at Loveland, uh, seventh and eighth. I'm enjoying it. We got some good kids. A couple kids never picked up a stick till this year. So we got some athletes. uh, So I think the future looks good for Loveland. Um, Still reffing college and high school. just enjoy the game, and I'm really loving the coaching. Good. Yeah, speak on the coaching a little bit. What made you want to get back into coaching? Uh, you know, you're a busy guy with your referee schedule. It seems like you're out there almost every night. And So what uh, What made you want to get back into coaching? Well, one time in my life uh, before I joined the Air Force and after I left Salisbury, I was a high school coach for my alma mater, Nyack High School, just south of West Point. And um, so I coached a freshman team. I was a varsity assistant. I was working. I was going to school. And... Um, we were we ate, we finished eighteen and zero, but on that team we had four Division one players. So it's easy to nice. coach. Great kids. I played with their older brothers. Went to school with their older sisters. Getting back into coaching, I you know I was just watching a lot of stuff. And fundamentally, at the middle school, I just saw a lot of stuff that I thought wasn't taught right, or maybe maybe can be taught a little bit differently. Scooping ground balls. We're not talking X and O's. Just Scooping ground balls, playing with your head up. I watch a lot of kids, even at the high school, they like play with their head down and then you got three guys on you and they're like, 
hey, look up, dude. There's like right. three guys open. <laughs> right. yep. So I really enjoyed that. And just get back into that part of the game. I'm enjoying myself really at Loveland. I mean, we got some good kids and, you know, they're, they're, they're not getting um, their heads down. We, we lost a couple of games, but we, we finished two and one this weekend at Steel City, which is really good. Nice. Yeah. So the, we're looking good. Steel City. We can't have a Steel City without it pouring rain, being cold. We I got can't. out. We got out just before uh, the rain started. Well, that's good. Yes. That's good. I can't tell you a Steel City I've been to where it hasn't been raining. Like, it's been a while since I've been there when it hasn't rained. Well, I was in a signer for Steel City for like three years, four years, and two of the years we canceled due to the heavy rain. The fields were saturated right. back no, in the right. day for Phil. Right. So. They do a good job with that tournament, though. That's a lot of teams and a lot of people out there. They do a great job. So. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, Wally, tell us a little bit. You know, you spoke on it here a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your lacrosse experience, how you got into lacrosse, where it brought you to where you are now. All right. So, I'll age myself a little bit here, but I picked up my stick in 1973. So, I started uh, back when I played. We didn't have middle school teams. We didn't have um, the travel teams now. There were several camps. So, um, we would just play on the weekends. Our high school, like the, the seniors would get us together and we would just pick teams and play. So we just learned, you know, a lot of us had nets in our backyards. I had one. My dad built me a net. So I had my own net in my backyard. And, and if you didn't have a net, you could just walk down to your friend's house and tell the mom and dad, hey, I'm going to shoot on a net. It's, don't break any windows. We're good to go. So then from there, I um, started as a midfield attackman, actually. I was pretty good stick skill, but I was not fast. I wasn't athletic. My growth spurt happened when I went into the Air Force. And in my junior year, I just switched to goalie and um, played goalie. Uh, my senior year, we were 17-2. and two. We've reached the uh, final eight in the New York State um, playoffs, which is a big deal. And then from there, I got recruited to play at Salisbury. So in 1979, I played at Salisbury when we were a Division II-3 team. And to age myself again, Dave Cottle, who everybody kind of knows in lacrosse world, was a graduate assistant. Right. Okay, right. So I left Salisbury, went back home, coached, refed, and then joined the Air Force. The refereeing back then is totally different than it is now. The guy called me and says, you're an ex-player, right? Okay, you can be a ref. <laughs> and that's what we're trying to do now is get our ex-players but the training program that our guys go through now is totally different than back in the 70s, 80s, even in the 90s. So uh, so one, so I moved up here in 98. I was down at Clear Creek riding my bike in 2004. I remember I had to play lacrosse up here in Ohio. So I got a hold of Pat Calora, and he said, hey, love to have you. Came back the next year, and that's where my journey started. So I've been around... 2004 is my first year here, and, um, you know, kind of Jay Farrell was my mentor, along with Mark Doddlestall, Pat Kalora, Ty Wilkinson, uh, John Zerid, who's no longer with us, was a big influence on my life as far as a referee. So uh, I enjoy it, and I've seen, I've seen the development of Ohio High School from a referee standpoint, but as far as Southwest Ohio, just getting better and better every year, and the players going to bigger-time programs and playing, not just sitting on a bench, but playing at the, the big level. Yeah, that's yeah, that's great to speak on. You know, it's just to see how fast it's grown and the level of play just since I've been around lacrosse, which hasn't been. I mean, my son's twenty one. I just started, you know, coming into the lacrosse game when he started playing as a as a youngster. But it's just it has. You're right. It's gotten so much better, and to see kids from around here going to big time programs now, I think is a testament to guys like you that have been coaching and refing and coaching these guys up. I've heard a lot of referees and coaches talk with missing the COVID year, just a little bit of sloppy play. We talked about a little bit. What do you, 
in your opinion, as an official and also a coach, what do you think coaches and officials can do to kind of help, you know, negate missing that year as far as development? Well, for, for I, I'll probably speak more from a referee standpoint, but uh, just being on the field experience wise, we, we're not having our regular meetings. Um, so they're sending out, um, you know, memos every week about rules stuff. So what I teach our young referees is just learning the rules. Learn the rules. Judgment calls are judgment calls. I mean, me and you could disagree on a high hit to your player or maybe your high player, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, you, you thought it wasn't a high hit, I did. But if I give your guy a three-minute stick penalty and it's a one-minute, that's a big difference. Right. So that's why I tell our players, you got to know the rules. Right. Know the rules, be consistent. And that was all taught to me, be in the right place. If you do those things, hopefully they're not talking about the refs after the game. That's the biggest thing is we don't, I don't want somebody like, you know, hey, Wally blew the call or this ref cost us a game. But also when I hear a coach say that, I'm kind of like, I looked at the stat sheet, you turned the ball over 30 times and, you, <laughs> you know, so, so, right. so, you know, right. um, but I think from us COVID, it was just, uh, I think one of the biggest things that helped us was the, the, some of the summer tournaments where guys were actually able to get in, not everybody. So we, I still ref last summer and fall. So I got some time on the field and I ref box. So I've been pretty much around it, but um, hopefully next year is a good year where we don't have to do all this stuff. So we talked about those rules a little bit. What are some of the new rules that came out this year, you know, that that referees are are told to put more of an emphasis on? And what are they looking like for the future for those rules? For example, face-off, you know, we just talked about some of the crease rules. What do those rules look like here in the next couple of years? So this year, um, basically last year, so the 2020 season, they came in with the uh, fast restart, meaning if an offensive player has the ball and he's ready to go, we're going to blow the whistle. In the past, we had to make sure that there was five yards before we blew that whistle on a restart. Now, if we blow the whistle and a defensive player engages that player less than five yards, that's going to be called a delay game penalty. Right, right. That speeds the game up. And going back real quick, we talked a little bit about the NCAA. So I've been refing NCAA for 12 years. So a lot of the rules that the, that the high school uses or becomes rules start at the NCAA. Like we talked about um, back even 10 or 12 years ago, every time the ball went out of bounds, we had, there was a horn, 20-second substitution. Right. Think about how many turnovers, how many times that we're stopping play, right. number one. Number two, offensively, you got the ball in the box, and when he came out, we had to start another 10 seconds. So when they got rid of that. Um, the other rule, the stick rule, which I thought was pretty good, um, Back in the, back 2019, if you got a three-minute stick penalty, that stick was out of the game. No, right. So you, not only is your guy sitting for three minutes unreleasable, he can't use that stick for the rest of the game. Right. Now they reduce that to a two-minute, and you can fix the stick and bring it back in. Right. Deep pocket went from one to two, but you can still fix your stick and have that stick. Right. The big one uh, that we're going to probably see Next year is the face-off. So right now, the college and the high school have two separate uh, setups for the face-off. The college, you can't get your knees on the ground. You got to be in a standing position. No motorcycle grip. That's coming to the high school. I totally believe that. Don't 
I've been around long enough to know that if they did that for college, it's coming to high school because guess what? All these kids that we have face-off guys here that are going to play Division One, Two, Three lacrosse. They're going to have to make that adjustment. So I, I see that coming. Um, I also would love to see them go to a 30-second clear like we used to have in college versus the 2010. I don't know if that's going to happen. We'll see. So why is that? Why, why would you rather see the 30-second clear come back? Because then um, from a referee standpoint, it's one count. For us, it's a little bit easier. But I don't know if it's going to happen. I mean, uh, I know a guy in the committee, he goes, we're just going to leave it like that for now. So there will be no shot clock, I don't believe, in high school just because not every game is is an up-and-down game. Number one. Number two, it's an expense to the schools that I don't know they're willing to spend $3,000 on shot clocks for a high school lacrosse program. I don't know. Each school might be a little bit different. Colleges, it took two years before the NCAA say, now you have two years to get those shot clocks at both ends. And now we have it. So, And then um, the safety thing with the shoulder pad and goalie, I think that's great for the sport, for the heart. We, you know, we, we had an incident uh, in 2016, and it was kind of personal because the kid that got hit, Grant Mays, had ref for me. And I was actually out in uh, California refing the MCLA National Championships when I got a phone call. And, um, you know, the Mower trainer saved his life. With, along with it was a Centerville Molar game, correct? Yeah, and the kid got hit in the chest and passed the ball and then dropped. And if it wasn't for the Molar trainer, and I think there was an, maybe an EMT in the stands, parent, that kid probably would have passed away. So next year, the shoulder pads will have that um, EKG chest, and it's going to be mandatory equipment. So it's really an area right below the shoulder pad that protects that heart rate. And what happens is, you know, you're, you're a coach and, you know, you're just covering your man in front. Some guy winds up and you don't know what's coming, right? And that's what, that's what happened to Grant. And then there was a Cornell player. I'm not going to even say his name because I'm going to screw it up. But he got hit by a Division One guy and he, he was dead on the field before he hit the ground. And supposedly that was what happened. So I'm glad that they're doing that. And, uh, and more and more schools are getting that equipment on their sidelines. I've heard, too, uh, the, the NFHS come out and say they're toying a little bit with making the bicep pads mandatory to where the entire arm is covered. Have you heard anything I about this I have not heard anything okay. about that, but if I'm an attackman here at high school, I might want to wear some box rib pads. No, right. No, yeah, yeah, I can't disagree with you there. So, I don't know if they'll make that mandatory, but uh, I, I, I do see some high school players that I know play boxing and wearing it. Hey, because all it takes is one good shot to the ribs. And I might throw a flag for a slash, but you're going to have a... It still hurts. That's right. (laughs) That's right. right. Talk a little bit about some of our... Some of the rules that are most, I guess, debatable or people are not sure exactly what the rule is. One being the diving in the crease. If you could break... Kind of break that down for us. Because, you know, you have kids all the time. It's an awesome play, right? They dive in the crease, score a goal, and it makes the highlight real. But ideally, if they dive in a crease, it's not a goal, right? Yeah. So in high school, there's a difference between high school and, and college, where in college, you can dive, leave your feet, get airborne as long as the ball crosses the line before you enter the crease. It's a goal. Um, now they added the goal mouth, but I'm not going to go there. But high school, you cannot. You can actually dive, but you can't land in a crease at any time. So if you if you project yourself, leave your feet. That's the key. If you leave your feet, and even if a guy cross-checks you in the back and puts you into the crease and you score, that's going to be no goal. It'll be a penalty on the defender, whether it's a push or a cross-check from behind. You can plant your feet. So if your feet are planted and then you kind of lean and start falling and 
shoot, score, and then you land in the crease, that's a good goal. The biggest thing for the referees, they got to be there to make that call. And you need two guys. In college, we kind of say the goal line's got, depending on where the player's coming. So if the player's coming, goal line, ref, I'm watching the push from the back. My single guy over on, under my right is going to be looking for, did he land in before he left, you know, before the ball's released and done. It's a safety issue. That's why they won't allow it in high school. It's even a safety issue, but it's it's an exciting play. And more and more kids are playing box lacrosse. And, you, you know, you've been around the box game, and I ref box. You dive. As long as you don't hit the goalie, you, it's a goal. So, so it's an exciting play. It's debatable in college whether, um, you know, it's a dangerous play as well. It could take out a goalie. So um, what we're trying to watch for is if uh, at the college level, if they, if they take out the goalie, it's definitely going to be a multi-minute uh, foul. High school, you know, I hate to take a goal away from a guy. It's like, that's the rule. And even if you leap in the air, like if you're on a crease, you leap in the air, you quick stick it in and you land in a crease, you left your feet technically, that's no goal. So that's, that's the hard, the crease call is a bang, bang play. And if you watch Division One lacrosse, it's bang, bang. And you sit there and go, those guys screwed it up. But then when replay, hey, they got it right. But um, I would love to see it in high school. But I just don't, it's a safety issue. I just, I just don't think it's going to happen. I think um, back in the day when I played, you can, going back to our number one priorities, ref is to protect the players. So I think us adding two to three minutes for multi, you know, high hits and stuff, I think that's actually made the game safer. Um, the days of uh, the buddy pass are over, like you just laid a guy out. Those days are over. I mean, you can hit a guy, but you, you might get ejected for a hit like that now, even at the college level. College, the college about seven or eight years ago, they came to us and they kind of said, get that stuff out of the game. Division one coaches. And, uh, and I think the concussion rate at the NCAA, as far as men's, has actually gone down like over the last 10 years versus the women, where the women are more athletic and they're more physical the concussion because they don't wear helmets has gone up. So you, you touched based on box. Uh, how important do you think box is becoming for field players? Um, I think it's, if you're not playing box across, I think you, you, you know, you, you're just not benefiting yourself. That's my opinion. Just because you box, you play in a, in a smaller venue there. It's physical on every play. Like when you go ground for a ground ball, you learn to run through the ball because in box, you cannot play the man versus like you can in the field. Box, so if me and you are going for ball and a ball's on the ground and my first thing is just to kind of make contact with you, we're losing the ball because I didn't play the ball. Whereas in field, I'm going to box you out and let my teammate come in. But you play under pressure for, you know, and then it's a shot clock up and down. You got to look, move the ball quicker. You learn to pass and shoot in tight quarters. And just setting picks and being physical. Um, so I'm going to really try to get our players to play next year, our seventh and eighth graders, get a team together because I think it's going to benefit them. Plus, plus I tell guys that, you know, the game is getting safer because the refereeing is getting better. One thing about boxing, I think uh, somebody told me one time, is if you start a box league, the, the biggest the two more important things about starting a box league, good goalies, good refs. The players will figure it out. But if you have crummy refs, and I know for a fact that we have parents here that have gone to events in other parts of the Midwest and have pulled their kids out, or they've pulled their teams out because the refereeing was horrible. 
This becomes dangerous to a certain extent. Well, I think box parents still think it's a dangerous sport, some. So as referees and as coaches, if we can call the fouls and then the coaches teach, you know, don't jack a guy from behind right into the board. You're going to get ejected. That's just how it is. But I think tight play, learn the contact of the sport. Because that contact you have in box, you're not going to have in field. Like if you move and pick in field, that's a move and pick. You're losing the ball. But you can still do a lot of things, pick and roll off of that without making contact in the field game. So, um, and just having a shot clock and then just running up and down like hockey. So I tell our guys, refs and stuff, it's good training for me. That's where I get my interval training. I sprint up and down because... You know, it's it's shorter, but it's high speed. And you've seen it. It's And I think that the sport, the box game is just going to grow and grow. Bill Tierney, who's the coach at Denver, legendary guy, said it a couple of years ago. He said if every place could do it, and it's not economic to do it, certain places don't just have the facilities, that every kid from third to sixth grade shouldn't even walk on a field. They should play box lacrosse first. That's what he said. Pretty much not quoting him, but that was the gist where he was going as get your kids playing box. And if you look now, we have a big collegiate league in uh, the Midwest, Denver, all parts of the country now. You're going to see this big collegiate thing under the leadership of Greg Bison, Anthony Kelly up at Reslo, and the guys out in Denver with Mac Brown and Shaden with U.S. Box LA. It's just going to explode. Right. Right. I mean, Jack Hanna is Jack Hanna. Jack, I'll we all say, know. That makes sense why Coach Tierney likes Jack Hanna so well, much. Well, right? Jack I mean, just, he's I, one of the I best think, around in my right opinion, now. Jack Hanna will play in the NLL. He will be drafted at least at some point when when they get back into uh, play. Because think about it. He was, one, he was one of the three Ohio guys that made the U.S. Box LA team two or three years ago that played up in Canada against their guys. And and I've seen Jack play. Field and 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 box, and he's just a, especially box. He just like and the intensity just is there. Another level. He, Another. Play, he does his intensity. Even he's he's the same age as my son, Dylan, and even watching them play against each other in high school and field, the intensity is just. It's a different. It just it clicks different, right? With some of these high major D one guys, it's just the focus, the intensity, the grit, the toughness. It's just a different level. Have you had have you ref Milford yet? Oh uh, yeah, I had him uh, last week against Anderson. So Jack's younger brother is a deep hole for Milford. I didn't know that. And he is, he's very good. Yeah, <laughs> he's very good. He plays with that same kind of same kind of intensity. Like yeah. he, he's just, he's one of their shutdown poles where you just can't, you can't get away from him. Yeah. His feet are extremely good, and he plays extremely hard. So that's great. So kind of closing up here, Wally. So what's what's next, man? You seem to have kind of done everything in this in this game, and you know what what's next for Wally when it comes to uh, the lacrosse world here in Southwest Ohio. Lacrosse. Um, so I'm still helping, you know, develop some referees. I um, actually work part time for U.S. Lacrosse as the director of officials uh, development in Ohio. So that's basically what I do is just make sure all those associations in the state get what they need. Make sure our guys are trained as trainers and. Um, observers and just, you know, making sure they do all this stuff. Um, I, you know, I love teaching the youth ref. I ran a youth ref uh, program for about six or seven years. Andrew Ferguson's taken over. He's done a really, really good job of continuing what we built. Jay Farrell started it. And my goal as a referee now um, is to get our younger guys who ref me come back and ref because right now at the college level, they're looking for young. So Tyler, and I'm not going to try to screw his name, but Tyler Miko, oh, um, you know, he ref for me, started. 
He's Division One. He does Division One big time. He made the U19 team as one of uh, the 12 officials going to referee the World Games. So my goal is to try to get our former players. The game of lacrosse doesn't have enough referees that play the game. That's one of our issues that we're trying to... Every Everybody, you as a coach, hey, if I get this Division One, you're like... I want that guy coaching on my staff. But if he ref for me, I want you because you played Division One, and that's what they're looking for. Tom Abbott, the national assigner, that's what he's looking for, the young guys. Because the game has just gotten faster. For me, I'm still going to ref high school as long as I can run up and down the field and not be that guy. Like, what's that guy doing? <laughs> but college, probably a couple more years. Okay, great. You know, I don't do, I just do Division Two and Three now. I'm good with that. And uh, still ref a couple summer tournaments. But I'm an outdoor guy, so it's the summer times now. I, I like uh, hike, bike, got a kayak. So uh, and then and Some of those photos you take out there. Yeah, That's and awesome. I just want to travel and uh, especially travel now. Get back to New York, see my sisters and my mom in South Carolina. So like everybody else, hopefully this and and just uh, I love box. So I, I I did five events this year, and I just love doing box. I mean, I'm not going to the next level, but my goal also is just to train the box guys. And we got a couple of young guys that, you know, maybe, maybe down the road, you know, get them, get them to do some big time box. We'll see. But I think Tyler, uh, he studies the game. I mean, the guy watches film, I think, and it's my hope that one day he will work the final four, like on Memorial day. I believe he will at one time. They're going to be great for the Midwest for sure. So folks, there he is. The man, the myth. Yeah. He's not a legend yet because he's still rolling, but he's a legend in our book. So, Wally, I really appreciate you coming in, man. That was incredibly insightful for everyone that's going to listen to this, and I really appreciate it, man. Well, thanks for having me, and uh, good ref in your games, and good luck this year. Appreciate it, And Wally, hopefully Southwest you. Ohio, we, we keep it down here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Thanks again, Wally. Thanks, appreciate bud. it. Appreciate it. Thanks again for Wally coming on. I mean, that guy is just so full of knowledge. His experience, his knowledge for the game, his love for the game is something that's just building the lacrosse game so much in our community. You know, the rule breakdowns he just talked about are some that we, you know, Cal, you and I weren't sure of, right? You know, with diving in the crease, you know, what's that look like? Uh, the other one that's really interesting to me is the face-off rule. He feels like it's coming to high school from college. You know, that's a game-changer. You know, just in our games this week, this year, you know, we see some guys knee down, some guys stand up, some struggle stand up, so they go knee down. You know, what do you, I mean, that's an interesting, an interesting thing moving forward on how it changes the face-off game around here. You know, we touched base on the shot clock, which the shot clock in this area has been a huge topic for lacrosse, basketball, and I couldn't agree with them more. It's a huge expense for schools to put shot clocks up. Not to mention is I'm not so sure that it would make the game better, you know, to make it faster for those top three or four in this area in each division. But, you know, pushing teams to shoot faster already is, I don't know if that makes it much better. So it's good to hear his perspective on that as well. So coming up next, former MLL player, veteran just like Wally the head coach of the PLL Redwoods the head coach of the Ohio Northern University Polar Bears coach Nat St. Lawrence this episode of Tilt Radio is sponsored by the Smart Program the Smart Program teaches individuals to leverage social media in their favor and present themselves in a way that enhances their personal brands 
At the SMART program, they believe that through education, everyone can become savvier about their online presence. Follow the SMART program on Instagram and Facebook for more information. So we are now joined by head men's lacrosse coach at Ohio Northern, head coach in the PLL Redwoods, MLL champ. Sometimes seems like dad of the year, Coach Nat St. Lawrence. What's up, Coach? <laughs> hey, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. I'm fired up. Excited to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us, man. I really appreciate it. How's everything going in your world right now? Right now, it's going well, you know, just trying to get through the season and chart, you know, obviously uncharted times and trying to navigate through that. And, um, you know, it's we're making the most of it like everybody else in the country. Right, right. I saw you guys just had a big win over Capital last week. Uh, what's that? Four and three in the OAC, five and four overall. How are you feeling right now about your team and and moving forward here with the OAC tournament coming up? Yeah, you know we're really excited uh, where we are as the team. Um, I think we started out in a great place at the beginning of the year and started out pretty well, and then kind of hit a, a midseason lull where we lost some games we think we should have won for a variety of reasons. And um, but I like how the team's coming together, great leadership and. You know, we're just trying to get better every day. And, you know, the big message we've been sending is uh, be where our feet are. You know, it's the end of the second semester. It's been a trying year for our kids. Fortunately, we've been in class uh, on campus all year. Um, but now, you know, some older guys have jobs lined up, internships lined up. And just trying to keep those guys engaged, understanding that that stuff's going to be there. Um, and we just need to focus on our time together and make the most of it. Yeah, for sure. That's a great point. I mean, it's it's been a grind for sure. You know, me and you talked the other day a little bit about how much we practice compared to how many games you play. Can you kind of touch base on that? I think that's a pretty interesting uh, interesting thing to hear. Yeah, so, you know, exactly right. And, and something I've spent a lot of time thinking, and hopefully we're never in this situation again. But if it is, if we are, you know, we might handle it a little differently. But uh Going out to our practice today, today will be our 62nd practice um, and we've played nine games. So, you know, you can only, you know, reinvent practice or get creative with practice so many times before, you know, it gets too stale and kids get sick and tired of uh, beating on each other and competing against each other. They want to play games um, and then you're, you know, restricted to conference only games. So it's certainly challenging and it's been an extremely long season. Um, I went back and I looked at previous years when we were in practice 60 through 65, we were usually playing in a conference championship. Um, at that point, that's how long our season was going. So to be 62 practices in and not even be in a conference tournament yet, um, you know, it, it definitely wears on the kids. It wears on the coaches. And, you know, that's why we're really trying to focus on, you know, our time together and, and being where our feet are and trying to stay positive and get creative by cutting practices down to like an hour, giving kids an extra day off. Um, you know, so it's certainly interesting when you look at it in that perspective. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, man, 60-something practices for nine games. That I mean, I can imagine your guys are itching probably every few days <laughs> to play someone else. So what are, what are some things, kind of creative things that you've done here over the season that have kind of, you know, broke, you know, break up some of that routine day to day? Well, one of the things that we did early in the season that was really exciting was our preseason. We called um, anybody that's familiar with ONU and our program. We're in a small town, so we called it, you know, the village is what we refer to it as. So we have uh, a couple of cross houses, one's on North Main Street and one's on South Main Street. So 
for about two weeks, we had a, a battle for the village and uh, we split the teams up into North main, North side and South side. And um, it was basically all the guys that lived in that house and all the guys that lived in the other house. And then we, you know, they drafted freshmen, sophomores uh, to, to be on the teams. So we kind of pumped that up. We took, we kept scoring every drill that we did that was competitive. And uh, my, one of my assistants tallied that up. So we had a final scrimmage, I think Southside won ultimately, but uh, you know, so we had some fun with that competing to keep the guys engaged until we could get to that first game. So that was one thing that we did that was really fun, kept the guys energized, kept it new. Um, a couple other things that we're doing now is um, letting the seniors um, draft up practice plans. Um, another thing that we're doing is during a game with one week, we just practice on, we will focus on one thing a day. And, uh, you know, if it's riding clear and, you know, scouting the other team, then that's what we'll do. And if it's an hour long, then it's an hour long, you know, that's, that's all we're going to do that day. So just trying not to burn them out because academically it is, it's very tough at a school like Ohio Northern. And then you throw in, you know, just the monotony of practicing every single day for two hours and not having a game to look forward to gets tough. So we had to get pretty creative. Right, right. Hey, moving forward here a little bit to the recruiting scene. I know you guys were definitely out there this summer. I feel like at least every tournament I was at, I saw a guy with a polar bear shirt on standing next to me on the sideline. That's, side that's the plan. That. That's the plan. Polar bears on the hunt. That's right. That's right. So how did did your recruiting change at all with the COVID season? I mean, being a Division three school, and did you guys have to come up with kind of a different plan? So a little bit, um, you know, we tried, fortunately for us, Indiana was open. So all the tournaments came out to Indiana, which is two and a half hour drive for us. So we went to everything that we could, um, like the division one and division two guys, we watched a lot of live film and, you know, playbacks of the films were recorded that we had access to, uh, to different events around the country. But, um, you know, for us, it was just trying to get out there to let, I don't even know coach if it was so much for us to be honest with you. Um, I think at times some of these kids and their families just wanted to see lacrosse coaches at a field that they're playing on or their son's playing on just to think, just to have a little glimmer of hope that, Hey, our son's going to get recruited or at least he's being seen by somebody because I'm sure at certain times they're questioning if it was even worth going out and trying to uh, do these events if coaches weren't going to be there. Yeah, I think at one point I asked one of your coaches if he just wants me to put him on staff since he's everywhere that we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it, it worked out really well. We uh, we we love who we've got coming in from your from your club, and you know we we're continuing to do well in that area of the state. There's some big time lacrosse down there that uh, you know it, we're, we're we're certainly going to tap into. So, yeah, could you maybe touch base a little bit on that here in Southwest Ohio? Is there something? kind of different you see in these guys and you see anyone anywhere else? I mean, I know you got some good guys, Nick Atkins, Will Atkins, Luke Dittis, uh, our goalie here, Robert Bruner's going there amongst others from Southwest Ohio. Is there something a little different that you see with the guys here? One of the things that I've started to notice, and we've got some, some, some guys on the team, you know, Ryan DeLittlewitz and, you know, Tyler Ferguson, some other guys that are in our program. One of the things that I really enjoy about those kids is they just love playing lacrosse. Um, like they want to do it. You can just, you know, and I, and it sounds kind of bland, but recruiting, you know, in general, you know, you, some kids expect to be recruited and, you know, you have to have conversations with them to see if they're really excited about playing college across, if they're really excited about you. 
Uh, how's it going to work out when they're there? And so far, you know, the kids that we're getting out of Southwest Ohio, I don't know if it's the game is somewhat newer to them than the kids out on the East coast that we recruit, but they're just hungry to play the game. They, they want to learn. They want to be coached up. They've got great attitudes. So I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned from them is like, they're still learning and involving as lacrosse players. And it's still cool to them. It's still fun to them. They want to be coached up. So that's been the most exciting thing about it. Like they just love playing the game. And I think if you talk to some coaches around the country, one of the concerns we have sometimes is when we get them at the college level, they're a little burnt out. They've played lacrosse their whole life. They go to all these travel tournaments. They go to all these camps. They do everything they can get seen. And then they get to college and they're like, okay, now what? I'm here. Now, now what? Now I got to do the 6 a.m. workouts. I got to run the 300s. Like I thought the hard part was getting here. And, you know, the kids that do well in college and a lot of the Southwest Ohio kids are doing really well with us and they're super excited about it. They just fly around the field, man. They have fun. They, they enjoy it. And, uh, they're still in that. I want to learn and play with a little bit of chip on their shoulder that they're, they want to prove to some people that overlooked them that they can play this game as well as anybody. That's awesome. That's a great insight to kids in this area. And I think you're spot on too. It's, you know, we're not, I guess we're still fairly new in the lacrosse world in Southwest Ohio, but you can definitely tell like from parents, players, high school games, like that's, you're, I mean, you're, you're right. That fire is still there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they love it. Changing gears here a little bit. We just had the PLL draft here recently. You know, you being the head coach of the Redwoods, fill us in a little bit about how you're feeling about the team this year and, uh, feeling about the league coming in its third season here. Yeah. Well, f- first of all, we're excited to be back out and have the fans, you know, last year, I thought it was incredible that we were able to pull off the bubble and get some kind of lacrosse. And we took advantage of that being on TV with all the other sports not being on. So that was great. Um, but it's much different than, you know, when you have, you know, eight to 12,000 fans in the stadium cheering you on. And, you know, we, the Redwoods have a strong contingency and a strong faith, uh, faithful group of fans. So we're really excited to be back out and traveling around the country and playing at different places. Um, in terms of the team, we're stoked. You know, we, we made a big trade to get Rob Pinnell in here to help us with uh, kind of balance our offense. You know, all the all the guys are coming back. Super excited. They're training hard right now. Um, just spoke with Kyle Harrison today and Miles Jones and those guys, Sergio Perkovic, they're all working extremely hard. So a lot of excitement. You know, we've been one goal. We're literally two goals away from having two championship rings. So um, we're certainly motivated to to try to, try to beat the whip snakes and win that first championship. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So another question I have for you too, you know, we hear, uh, unfortunately there's been some stories here this year about, you know, some racist remarks and games yeah. and, you know, we want to try and build diversity in the game. That's what it's all about. Fill us in a little bit for people that might not, might not know or be aware of uh, the black lacrosse Alliance that was developed kind of what that is and what the goal is uh, with that program. Yeah, you know, and, and that's a great point. And we're we're certainly trying to, uh, to to get our game our games made for everybody. You know, um, it was invented by Native Americans. It's, you know, you don't have to be the biggest, strongest, fastest person. And you know, there's a there's a little bit of a stereotype around our sport about it. You know, rich, private, you know, Caucasian players are the only kids that play the game. It's just not true. And um, we don't have a great representation of diversity like every like so many other 
fields and business occupations in the country. We're, we're trying to grow that. But um, the Black Lacrosse Alliance was really developed with um, starting with Jules Henningberg and Kyle Harrison and Isaiah Davis Allen and some guys, uh, just all the you know, basically the pro players working together and kind of paired up and teamed up with what's called the Players Coalition. And that's all sports, NFL, NBA, like it's just uh, all, all sports, pro sports, trying to grow diversity and raise awareness to what's going on in this country with social injustice and things of that nature. So it's been a, trem- a tremendous help um, to diversify our sport. Um, the IMLCA, uh, I'm on the Diversity Inclusion Committee, I actually chair it and started the committee this year. Um, you know, we're getting ready to work with a lot of programs with what's called the LEAD Initiative. Um, Notre Dame had a sticker on their helmet when they were playing UVA on national television. And Paul Carcaterra talked about the LEAD Initiative, which is listen, educate, act, and diversify. And, um, you know, so there's programs out there and, and Black Alliance has really started to step up and lead this thing um, to show kids, you know, it's it's not the stereotype that people hear. And lacrosse is medicine game. It's for everybody. It's made for everybody. And uh, doing a heck of a job raising awareness and bringing more and more diversity to our sport, which, you know, talking to kids of all races and religion, that's what they want, you know, and they're excited for it. So we're certainly excited to be, a, I'm fortunate enough to be a part of it and have so many players on my current pro team that are involved with the BLA and, and helping and supporting their initiative. It's, it's been pretty, it's been pretty fun to kind of see our game grow and know that you're a little small piece of that. Yeah. That's an amazing group. I've been following it since it started and it's, yeah, to me to diversify our sport a little bit is, you know, what it's all about, you know, just from different cultures, different races, that's what makes the game fun. Right. So I agree. Um, yeah, no doubt. Kind of last question for you. You're a coach of a college team, coach of a pro team, coach some club ball. And first of all, though, you're a dad. I guess my question for you is, how in the world do you do all that? (laughs) I I don't know. Uh, Some days I have no idea. Like today, uh, you know, you and I were talking. I took both of my daughters to the orthodontist and we just spent the day shopping and they took dad uh, took dad's wallet and ran, but we were able to have lunch together and spend time together. And, you know, all calls were on hold and, you know, I think it's doable. Um, it's important for me to get back to this game because this game has given me so much, but, uh, you know, there's nothing more important than family. And I've got a beautiful wife that I don't deserve. She's a credible support. She supports me so much and my kids love it. My son thinks it's the coolest thing in the world. So, I'm really fortunate at this stage of my life to be able to pull all that off. But, uh, you know, I don't know if it's so much of what I'm doing. I think it's more so of my family's willingness to understand what my dream is, what my passion is, and to want to be a part of that. And I think that that's like the biggest thing is like they want to be a part of it. Um, They enjoy traveling. They enjoy the relationships that I've made. And, um, you know, they they thought they think it's been just so cool when the team comes over to my house. you know, when the college team comes over around Christmas or Easter or just a weekend where we have them over for a cookout, they just love interacting with the team. They're, they they feel part of it. And I think that that's key. Yeah, that's that's awesome, man. Yeah, it's that's a cool feeling when you get home from a game after a dub and your kids. The first thing your kids, it's not, "Hey, Dad, how are you?" Is, "Did you win?" And then you yeah. win and you celebrate it together. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We actually, I put a tweet out this, uh, this week when our last went on the road, they couldn't go. I kind of just with COVID and limited spectators, you know, it's tough to get them to travel, but, uh, 
yeah, they sent me a video. They were playing our team song and dancing and having fun. And as a coach, that's great. But when you sit back as a dad, it's hard to not get emotional when you oh, see sure. your kids and wife and your dog all dancing and playing the song that we just played in the locker room. And, you know, it's, it's not been the season we, we were hoping for um, win loss record, but you know, we're, we know we're in the playoffs. We got a chance to win this thing and um, to see them celebrate and go along for the ride. It's, it's pretty cool to sit back and reflect on. Absolutely. So coach, you've answered all my questions. This is our in the box segment, 30 seconds. The mic is all yours, my friend. Yeah. You know, I, I would just want to take a minute and, and let everybody know that uh, the Ohio Northern university, Northwest Ohio, you know, top 50 academic school in the country, division one facilities, great financial aid, academic packages with job placement rates through the roof. And uh, we're, we're one of the top schools in the country with, uh, starting salaries your first five years out of college and one of the top for first 10 years out of college. So a bunch of different majors. We're doing big things here. We think we're sitting on a sleeping giant and uh, in a short period of time of having a program, I think we're proving that. Boom. There it is, folks. There it is from one of the best out there. So coach, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, it means a lot to us and, and go get them there in the OAC tournament. Yes, sir. That's, that's the plan is to get them in the OAC tournament and roll woods. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you, our friendship and this opportunity to be on this podcast. It means a lot that you guys thought of me. Absolutely. Thanks, Nat. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Take care. Folks, that right there is what it's all about. Coach Nat is first class, top class, one of the best coaches in college. Uh, obviously one of the best coaches in the PLL. Uh, just everything he had to say is what lacrosse should be about from uh, coaching college to the PLL to the Black Lacrosse Alliance uh, being a dad uh, it's you know it's personal to every coach to hear those kinds of things especially you know going home to your family so uh, again that's what it's all about so Cal that's it for episode two again thank you all for listening please uh, remember to send us your comments uh, concerns, burns, chirps, and also the biggest thing, go subscribe on any of your podcast app, rate, review, and tune in for next time. This is Coach Foley and Coach Cal. Check the tilt.